This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Welcome to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers podcast. I am not Greg Mackling, and neither one of these gentlemen are Doug Brown. Not that they need any introduction, but gentlemen, introduce yourselves. How about the guy wearing the red shirt across from me? Well, I am Bob Irving. I happen to be the radio play-by-play voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I'm quite thrilled to be working on a regular basis with Doug Brown and a gentleman named Ed Tate. So I'm going to guess then that the next guy who's going to introduce himself is sitting in a blue bomber office in a blue shirt. Absolutely. You nailed it. Good. (laughs) Two for two so far. Yeah, it's a good day. Uh, So, gentlemen, uh, first off, uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened last Thursday night at IG Field. uh, Because there, and it, it shocks me, there has been much commiserating about how the Winnipeg Blue Bombers went about defeating the Calgary Stampeders 26-24 to when just a year ago it was a just as close a game and it was like we were having a Grey Cup celebration. Eddie, maybe I'll let you weigh in on this and then, Bob, you take the handoff. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's ever a wise thing to look at a, a win over Calgary and, and start picking it apart, but it seems like a lot of people found some flaws in what happened especially on offense with less than 200 yards passing and, and some of the other numbers that jump didn't jump off the page. But, uh, I mean, it is Calgary. They're the most successful franchise in this league for over 10 years. And so anytime you can beat them in a game that matters, I, I think you, uh, you run away laughing. And I, I, I'm a little bit surprised by the criticism, too. Well, yeah, I I remember on our post-game show at one point uh, I looked at Doug Brown and I said, uh, am I missing something or did the Bombers lose this game? No, they won the game. They won the game. Now, here's the thing about their offense, and I know some people are not happy with their offense because it's not flashy enough. You know, it doesn't have enough pizzazz in it, long bombs and that sort of thing. But as Mike O'Shea so correctly pointed out on our Monday night uh, coaches show, the Calgary Stampeder defense just doesn't give you the big plays. They just don't. You've got to take some of the underneath stuff. You've got to run the ball, which the Bombers did. They had held on to the ball for 33 minutes. Yeah, they had less than 300 yards of offense, but so what? You know, there's a lot of different ways to win football games, and one of them is on special teams, and the other is on defense, and, of course, there's offense. So they had really good defense and special teams the other night. And had, there's nothing wrong with the offense. Hey, they're 6-2. and two. But I hear this from fans too. It's like, uh, when are they going to? When's Matt Nichols going to pass for 300 yards? Well, I don't know when he's going to pass for 300 yards, but I know this: if they keep winning, they don't care about that. Yeah, and I was just going to say, Bob, do you think the Blue Bomber faithful will be happy if Matt Nichols passes for 300 yards, but they lose 26-24? No, of course not. They wouldn't be. And Matt Nichols will pass for 300 yards again. Trust me, folks. I. And I, Ed can jump in on this, but I think this Bomber offense has more to give in the passing game. I can tell you what, Matt Nichols misses Darvin Adams. He's his favorite target. He, he, I think he has the most confidence in Darvin Adams. He's still getting to know Chris Matthews in terms of how he runs his plays and different things like that. So I'm not making excuses for him, but I, I think this offense, their passing game will evolve and will become more proficient. Ed? Yeah, absolutely, Bob. Uh, you know, 
I think people forget the impact of not having Darvin Adams for the last couple of games. You know, just a few weeks ago, everybody was raving about the work of Matt Nichols. And, you know, you think of the long touchdown passes, a couple to Nick Dembski, to Lucky Whitehead, and, and people were quite satisfied. But I think we can get fixated too much sometimes on the passing yardage totals. I mean, Mike Riley threw for over 300 yards against Hamilton on the weekend, and they lost again. And I'm not blaming him, but that that number can be deceiving. I think we forget, too, that there's been changes up front on the offensive line. And Bob's, just to build on what Bob said, there's a chemistry that's got to develop with all kinds of people, including those up front, including with Chris Matthews. There's no Darvin Adams right now. Kenny Lawler's new. Lucky Whitehead is new to the offense this year. So I think there's a lot more to give, as Bob alluded to. And, uh, you know, at this point, the Bombers don't necessarily have to pass for huge totals to get it done because of the balance they have with Andrew Harris. And I think, again, as Bob said, when you're playing Calgary, who who lines everybody up at the first down marker and, and waits for you to come to them, sometimes you just have to take what a defense gives you. And that's that was really exemplified by what the Bombers did last Thursday. You know, we were having an on-air conversation about this earlier in the week, gentlemen, about what would happen to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers if, heaven forbid, Andrew Harris was to get injured. And I, my response was, well, people would probably be getting off Matt Nichols' back because they'd be passing more. <laughs> well, yeah, they probably would. Um, and if Andrew Harris got injured, they would put another running back in there and, and life would go on, but they would certainly miss him. And the thought of him being hurt is one that I know fans don't even want to think about. I found it interesting and we're talking about Harris now and how good he is and how valuable he is and what a great year he's having. Dave Dickinson, the coach of the Stampeders, told us the day before the game that never mind the, the rushing yards and all the rest of it, he's super impressed with Andrew Harris never making a mistake. And Dickinson said, I watch him on film and I, I can see him picking up the blocking that needs to be done by him and how he directs other players, receivers, maybe slot backs, into getting them in the right place so that they pick up the right blocks. And I thought, man, it's interesting. Now, the, the coaches, of course, watch film till they fall over. But here's Dickinson, unsolicited, in an unsolicited way, praising the things that Andrew Harris does beyond running with the football that Mike O'Shea, Ed, has often talked about, how he's always, and Mike likes using this word, he's always right. Yeah, he is a spectacular blocker. He's an, you know still an underrated receiver in my book. But I think this is a tribute to his work ethic. You know, this is a guy that uh, sits in with the offensive line to to look at their their blocking schemes and everything. And I think that's why he's so adept at that and why he knows what everybody on the field is supposed to be. And again, that's part of what makes him so good. You know, it's interesting after the game. Uh, Matt Nichols was asked again to kind of talk about Andrew's game after he had 19 carries for 100 yards and eight catches, and he he said he was the best he's ever seen that he's ever been around. Now I know a lot of people rolled their eyes about that because you know we're talking about a league that's got some spectacular running backs in its history, but you know it, it got me thinking about where Andrew would rank among the best bomber running backs of all time, and he's got to be up there now with Leo Lewis and Charles Roberts if he wasn't already. You know, it's kind of interesting you guys bring up some of those subtle differences that Andrew Harris makes to a football team because, you know, Calgary had to shuttle Morris in for Williams 
all night long. Terry Williams is probably the more talented of the running backs, but he doesn't block as well. And I think it's Saskatchewan when they've got to take William Powell out of there and put Thigpen in for the very same reasons. Well, I think of John Cornish, too, when we talk about great Canadian running backs. Now, John Cornish was put in the Hall of Fame recently, and he was a horse. He was a tremendous runner. Uh, but he wasn't the receiver that Andrew Harris is. He just wasn't as good yeah. catching the ball. So, you know, you want to compare those two. And Ed, I know over the years when they when they when Andrew was in BC and Cornish was still playing, they were often you know compared who's the better. And I think most people lean toward Cornish, but they overlooked the other things. I'm talking about the receiving and the blocking and the, and all the things that Andrew Harris does. Yeah, like Kelly touched on it. There's not many backs that block as well as he does. And in terms of the receiving, you know, it kind of caught me by surprise. I was just looking at the numbers this week. And Andrew Harris is second in the league right now in receptions with 45, second only to Brandon Banks. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that those are tremendous numbers for a guy that's as busy as him. The other thing is, is that every week teams scheme to stop him somehow. And, you know, he continues to get it done. He had 27 touches last week and was the best player on the field in an important win for Winnipeg. So, uh, I mean, we could gush about this guy every week, and the next time he doesn't rush for, you know, over five-yard average or, you know, maybe 50 yards or less, we're all going to be shocked by it. But it it just says that how good he is, and and teams will really have to kind of load up to stop the bomber running game. Well, and as good as Calgary is defensively, that he could run for as many yards as he did against them is a tribute to him and to the offensive line. The O-line did a, a tremendous job in that game of getting some push. And then Andrew kind of, he sort of settles in behind the big guys and kind of <laughs> he, he, he creeps along and finds a little seam here, a little crack there. And before you know it, he's got seven or eight yards. I, I just love watching the whole thing unfold. Yeah, and, and I love the the after party, if you will, where he runs up to the sidelines, has his hands yeah. up, or you know, just trying to get the crowd or his teammates involved any, any way he can. He is gone. The 30, the 20, the 10. Touchdown, Blue Bombers, Janarian Grant. Uh, made a few miss. Um, that's what I do. You know, I'm just um, trying to go out there and show them that, you know, I'm very explosive and that, I, and that they can count on me. Janarian Grant to the 40. He's to the 50 center field, the 40 of Calgary. You just got to be patient. And once you see the hole and once you see the scene, just hit it and you'll be in the end zone before you know it. He might be gone again. Yes, he is. Touchdown, Blue Bombers. Um, you know, I'm trying to uh, catch the ball. Once I catch it, just get vertical. And after that, you know, make a few miss. In the end zone, I go. How's that for a debut? Kelly Moore along with Bob Irving and Ed Tate uh, sitting in for Greg Mackling and Doug Brown on the Doug Brown Blue Bomber podcast this week. Uh, guys, uh, let's talk a, a little bit. I, I guess we probably should uh, because he did make Winnipeg Blue Bomber history, uh, and that is Janarian Grant. Now, you two fellows have covered the Canadian Football League for more years uh, than you'd probably want to be given credit for, but have you ever seen a splashier debut uh, by a returner uh, for any football team in the in the Canadian Football League. Well, no, no, I haven't. Uh, and the returns, the two touchdown returns, and he had a couple more that were pretty good, but yes. the two touchdown returns were spectacular. Uh, the speed, the, the vision, the way he was able to shift uh, his directions, and it left you wondering, man, 
I wonder what we're going to see next from this guy because teams are going to they're going to keep a closer eye on him now. And Calgary has very good special teams too. We might want to point out they're one of the better teams in the league on special teams. But it's a one game sample, so we don't want to get carried away. But uh, just the way he ran those kicks back, and I know Ed uh, Michael Shea has used the word he's fearless. He's got lots of courage, and you want that in your kick returners. You want them to not be afraid to hit right up into the straight ahead into the hole, and he showed that and more. And, of course, the great speed and everything else. So it was really a spectacular, spectacular debut. Yeah, what I liked about his return game is that he catches the punts, and he's just he's straight ahead right away. And then uh, as he's attacking forward, he'll make a lateral cut real quick. We saw that on the first punt return score. He can cut on a dime, and then he's just off to the races. Very, very impressive. Both those punt returns came in the first half. So as far as debuts go, you know, you can't beat that. He did put the ball on the ground once after that. Um, but it, there's an awful lot to like there, and it's been a bit of a revolving door at that position since Charles Nelson got hurt. You know, they tried Kenny Walker back there, and he had a good first game and then fumbled twice. They've tried uh, Mike Jones back there, and that didn't work. So... This guy, you know, this is a guy that the team wanted to step up and needed someone to step up, and it's, the, it's kind of the latest in a series across the league with all these kick return touchdowns. It's uh, The Bombers are fortunate to have a guy this skilled, and now you wonder, as Bob said, if teams will start to punt away from him or punt out of bounds or, uh, you know, and, and we'll see if they already start to compensate for a, a, as dangerous a guy back there as Janarian Grant. I think one of the great points Ed just made too, Kelly, was that uh, Grant caught the ball and went straight ahead. You know, returners with great speed get on this wide field here in the Canadian Football League for the first time, and a lot of them think, well, I'll just catch the ball and I'll go wide because I'll outrun everybody, and it doesn't work. It just does not work. And uh, it was great to see Grant not think in those terms. And, you know, I'll just yeah. I'll loop back and lose 15 yards because nothing drives a coach nuts more than that. So his straight-ahead attitude was very impressive. Yeah, and, and a guy playing for the first time on that wide field would probably be tempted to yeah. to certainly take advantage of that extra territory. I'll tell you what, guys, I can't help but think, you know, Michael Shea said it on the uh, uh, Bomber Coaches Show on Monday night. He does not think Janarian Grant will be a one-and-done uh like to a certain extent Kenny Walker was and all of a sudden you have a BC Lions team that along with Calgary and Saskatchewan have given up for returns so yeah. you know Eddie should we be uh thinking hey Janarian Grant could be good for one or two more this Thursday night well I mean those things are so hard to predict but I mean he had 306 yards and returns I, I mean it'd be bonus if he, he can find the end zone again I think First and foremost, he talked about it before the game. He just wants to make sure he secures the ball. And as we said, he did put the ball on the ground later. And that was what got him in trouble with the Baltimore Ravens during his brief stint in the NFL. So I think if he catches it clean and and breaks one, that's a bonus. But if he just does his job back there and and helps the special teams flip the field a little bit against a really struggling BC team, then that could go a long way just to help the offense put some points on the board. You know, we talked often about turnovers in sport and that fumble that Ed refers to by Grant in the game, which gave Calgary the ball deep in bomber territory. And then uh, they had the interception. The Bombers had Marcus Sales intercepted deep in the end zone at the end of the first half. But that fumble by Grant, I said on the broadcast, he is now undid all the good he did earlier by turning the ball over. Those are impactful plays. And so... I mean, that's the one thing we have to watch based on his history, as Ed yeah. said, with Baltimore. 
uh, and then the fumble the other night, because if he does that too often, that's, I mean, that's not good news. But, you know, let's wait and see. What we saw of him was pretty exciting, and uh, we'll see how the rest of it plays out. You know, one thing you mentioned, Ed, uh, I can't remember what show it was on, but you, you went back to Cal Murphy. And uh, in the days of when there were a lot of uh, uh, punts and kickoffs returned for touchdowns, and Cal started using more starters than backups on special teams. And uh, with what's going on, I mean, we're up to 18 uh, punt and kickoff and missed field goal attempt returns for touchdowns, four shy of the all-time league record. Uh, is it? Do we all maybe start to see teams react that way a bit? Well. I think when Cal did it, it was later in the season. You have to be careful about this because the last thing you want is for you know one of your defensive starters to be out there covering a kick and you know get blocked in the back and or get hurt somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's it's the one thing, the one kind of card a coach has up his sleeve. And if your cover units are really poor, you can change out guys. But then you know that the the byproduct of that is that maybe when they're running down the field all the time to cover kicks, then they're exhausted when they want run out there on defense. So it's kind of a, a dangerous uh, path to walk down. But uh, when Cal did it, it was it was partly out of desperation, but it was the it was the right move at the time. So I think we might see something like that hap- happen, Kelly, if teams are really struggling in their cover units. But I, you know, it's still only August. I think you might be tempted to wait until October, November, to to if you're going to be that desperate. Cal usually did that in the playoffs. He'd roll out his right. linebackers in particular, Greg Battle and Ty Jones and James West. They'd all be yeah. on the special teams in the playoffs because he wanted his best athletes out there. I think what we might see, and, and Justin Medlock does this so well, is teams really trying hard for the placement of kicks to, mm-hmm. right along the sideline. Mm-hmm. So the returner, if you get it to him in the middle of the field, yeah. you're asking for trouble. So I think we'll see a lot more of that, uh, trying to keep the ball in a spot where the guy doesn't have quite as much as many options to go in either direction. But uh, I don't know if this pace can continue with the kick return touchdowns. It seems unreal, uh, but we're almost halfway through the season. So will the, will the worm turn the other way? I don't know. Teams will certainly be focusing on it, though. Uh, you'd have to think as the field gets a little slippier and that it does tend to skew in yeah. the favor of uh, the offensive uh, teams for sure. Uh, guys, let's talk a little bit about the BC Lions because that's two games now this year they had in the bag and they found a way to let it get away. And a lot of fingers uh, were being pointed earlier at the Lions' offensive line. Uh, then it was, uh, you know, well, Mike Riley uh, maybe hanging on to the football too long and uh, all kinds. Of, now, all of a sudden, it's an inexperienced coaching staff. Uh, but either way, uh, I think you have to take a look at what the Lions did against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Bob. Mm-hmm. But I looked at the stats just before we went on. 37 minutes of possession. Yeah. You know, and all those first downs and over 450 yards of, of uh, uh, pre-loss offense, that was a really good night by Riley in that game. I remember Ed and I talking a number of times early in the season when the Lions were losing all those games and running that offense, which saw a strict drop back from Mike Riley. Uh, they had no ground game at all to speak of. They didn't even seem like they focused on the run. They didn't have a lot of those uh, release passes to the backs coming out of the backfield, the quick throws to the sideline. Those were all there in Hamilton on on the weekend. So it's almost like the Lions offensive coordinators have figured it out. You know what? We can't just drop back Mike on every play. We've got to <laughs> yeah. we've got to run the football. 
Uh, we've got to have the swing passes. We've got to have the check downs and all those things. And presto, as you say, Kelly, 30 first downs, 450 yards, 37 minutes of possession. It's criminal that they lost that game. Yeah, it, it really sure is. is criminal. Uh, but their offense looks like it has awakened. And when you got Mike Riley at the controls, well, that's uh, that's bad news, I think, for some teams down the road. You know, Ed, we thought that perhaps when they had the big lead in Calgary and they let that one get away, uh, that perhaps the offense was coming around and then all of a sudden they ran into Saskatchewan back-to-back and just got absolutely humiliated. So uh, with what Saskatchewan does defensively, are they are they closer to what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense would be doing with, uh, you know, uh, probably quite a few more blitzes than the average Joe? Yeah, a couple weeks ago, we... This is the problem with the the Lions right now. It's just how inconsistent they are. So you guys trotted out the numbers they had against uh, Hamilton on the weekend, and they're pretty impressive. But before their bye week, when they lost 45-18 to Saskatchewan, they had only 68 net yards. That's the lowest in 35 years in the CFL. So they're kind of all over the map here. There were some positive signs in Hamilton. but So if you're Winnipeg, I think you, you study the – the film of all their games, of course, but those are the two most recent ones. And you look at what Saskatchewan did against them in Vancouver a couple weeks ago, and then you look at what Hamilton wasn't able to do to be successful against them, although they did did end up winning the game. And you kind of come up with a game plan. It, it's never easy to play Mike Riley. He's seen everything. He's as tough as they come. But boy, oh boy, I, I don't know about you guys, but I watched it to the end of that game. And, you know, he was banged up in the body language for him was just horrible. He just looks like a beaten guy. We're not even at mid-August yet, and uh, you know he, he's just—he looks like he's worn out. Well, toward the end of that game, it looked—it looked to me as they were saw the lead slipping away, Ed. And I'm with you on the body language. It's almost like you could. You could see that Mike Riley is thinking, oh, my God, you know, we're, we're going to lose this Here game. we go again. Yeah, yeah. how are we possibly going to – everything's going wrong for us now, and you could almost read that in his movements. The one thing, though, that BC did against Hamilton was run the ball, and yeah. that set up their right. offense. Well, the Bombers don't let anybody run the ball very mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So if they can shut down John White – and John yeah. White looked great, by the way, in that game. If they can shut him down, then Riley's back to his old predicament where he's going to have to drop back. And now they have three Americans on the O-line now, and it looked like the O-line played better the other night, uh, but that's going to be a big key to the game. Yeah, that's why I ask if there's similarities you can draw between the uh, uh, BC or sorry, the uh, Saskatchewan and Winnipeg defenses compared to uh, how some of those others uh, play. Uh, Kelly Moore, along with Bob Irving and Ed Tate, uh, sitting in for Greg Mackling and Doug Brown on the Doug Brown Winnipeg Blue Bomber podcast. Just before we go here, gentlemen, I have to get your feelings on what I'm dubbing the Bob Irving rule uh, in the Canadian Football League. We saw it implemented for the first time on Friday night in Montreal. Uh, It astounded everybody uh, where there was a weather delay in the third quarter, and all of a sudden after one hour, I mean after one stinking hour, Knuckles, you went about five or six hours in that home opener against Edmonton on in 2018. Well, they've got to change the rule. They just do. An hour's not long enough to wait before you award somebody two points with 18 minutes left in a seven-point game. It's just dead wrong. And I know it's the rule, so they had to follow it, so they say, but they've got to change it. It's just not right. It's just not right. I think it's a black mark. It's an embarrassment for the league. Ed, can you well, get stronger the, than yeah. that? 
<laughs> no, no, of course not. If that's when Bob gets up on a soapbox, there's nobody better. So uh, I'll just uh, I'll stand on the second tier of the soapbox and say this: uh, Look, it, it it surprised a lot of people that didn't know that the rule had been implemented, the change to the rule at least. And from what I understand, in Montreal, the weather patterns were kind of unsettled, and it might not have you know they could have been waiting for a, quite a bit longer. But I was talking to Bob about this yesterday at bomber practice. What if they had waited and called the game, and then you know, fifteen to a half an hour, fifteen minutes to a half hour later, the sky is clear and it's perfectly sunny, or it's you know a perfect clear night? How embarrassing would that have been? I, I think there's got to be some sort of leeway in this that the, that allows, with all the technology we have, that you can look at weather patterns and you can see what kind of fronts are coming in or whether this the, the pattern is going to clear, and and then you make the call because. Sometimes we know it's Canada. It, it, sometimes these patterns can get locked in, and you could be sitting there for a long time. But if it's going to clear, then wait it out. Yeah, and, and it sounds. I was trying to reach Brian Ramsey, the president of the CFL Players Association, before we came on with the podcast, just to get the PA's perspective of this. Because I get it. If players are sitting around forever, you know, it's hard for them to loosen up. They become more susceptible to injury and player safety is a huge thing in, uh, in, in all sports, but in particular in, in Randy Ambrosi's world, but Wade Miller, now he was only speaking for the Winnipeg blue bombers, but he would have been one of the nine team representatives. Uh, when the discussion of that new old new rule took place during the CBA negotiations and Wade sure made it sound, uh, like he is willing uh, to take a second look at this and uh, and maybe try to find a better way. Well, sure he is, and why wouldn't he be? And this player safety thing, is, I think it's overrated in this particular case. If you polled the players in this league and said, would you be prepared to wait two hours? Let's pick an arbitrary figure, two sure. hours. Yeah. And do you think that would cause a problem? Unanimously, they would say, no, we want the game to be finished. And that's the way it should be, Kelly well, Moore. Well, and Ed <laughs> Bob just pointed. The lesson. <laughs> Bob just pointed his gnarly finger at me. After that, I am more fearful of that than Jackson Jeffcoat trying to straight arm me in the My pocket. My finger's not that gnarly. Is yeah. it? <laughs> it, it looked gnarly oh, from my okay. position. Yeah. I didn't mean it to. <laughs> well, I don't know if this is going to, if we can sign this off by uh, saying this podcast has been approved by Doug Brown and Greg Mackling, but sure. who cares? We, we have Bob Irving and Ed Tate on it. So, there you yeah. go. We can do that. Fellas, thanks very much for this. Okay. No thanks, Kelly. Thanks, yeah. Bob. Thanks, Kelly. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.